So we're going to be taking a look at Joel today. And I just start out with asking you a question. Uh, does the idea of meeting God, does it terrify you or excite you? <clears throat> and for any person in this world that you ask that question, I suppose you could be getting a different answer. If you have lived your life with a disregard or disrespect for God and suddenly you are face to face with God, uh, that could be a bit terrifying. Uh, you know, maybe you don't, didn't really believe God existed or even if God did exist that he was just of no concern to you. And then you discover, you learn that you've been oh so wrong oh so long and uh, that could be a bit terrifying to come face to face with God or there's the other side if you've read and learned and seen that God is forgiving loving faithful then the thought of meeting God could be quite amazing uh, for me the most honest transparent and real response is that it's often a mixture of both. It is both amazingly terrifying and terribly amazing to think about coming face to face with God. The prophet Joel says that that idea, that that is the truth, that that is the reality of what the Jews referred to as the day of the Lord, the day when you would come face to face with God. Now, Joel was a prophet in post-exile Jerusalem. So let's uh, remind ourselves of what that is. Uh, remember in 587 and 586 BC, uh, the Babylonian Empire uh, conquered um, Judah, uh, and uh, uh, took um, all of the, the, the healthy, able-bodied people into exile, uh, into Babylon. Um, and there they stayed for a very long time. And in fact, uh, it was years later that then Persia conquered Babylon, and when Persia conquered Babylon, Cyrus of Persia allowed the Jews who had been taken into exile return uh, to Judah if they desired to. And uh, we, saw, we heard about that last week when we talked about Daniel. Daniel was one of the individuals who chose to stay uh, uh, where he had been. Uh, but here now uh, with Joel, we're back in uh, Judah with those post-exilic Jews who have returned from exile to Jerusalem uh, to begin their lives again. Now, it would seem like this, this would be a really wonderful time. Um, 
And uh, I mean, in many ways, it certainly was for them that they were getting to return to their home for the first time. Uh, but also remember this, that most people, most of the people had basically forgotten about God. Because what you need to remember here is that they have been away from Jerusalem, they have been away from Judah for decades. Decades they've been gone. In fact, it is almost a hundred years that they've been gone. And so with that in mind, the people who are returning are not even the same people who left. It's a whole different generation. And they've been living in a culture that had nothing to do with their faith or their God for years and years. Their entire lives they've been living that way. And remember at this time that there are no family Bibles around. There's, you know, there's no, uh, you know, Gideon scrolls uh, that are, you know, in the, in the end table that they can be reading. There, none of that exists. There's no app to pull up a daily devotion and, you know, read a little from the Pentateuch. You, 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 there's no way to do that. Oral tradition of households is all that could keep the faith alive in these families. And even then, there was no cultural incentive to practice their faith. In fact, quite the opposite. Demonstrating a strong commitment to their faith was often a way to be ostracized. Right? Remember Daniel. He was sentenced to death for praying to his God. So for many of these Jews that were returning, religion was just a superficial cultural practice that had little to no impact on their day-to-day -day life at all. They either didn't believe in God, or they did not believe that a relationship with God was anything to truly be pursued. They practiced religion, but lived their lives the way they wanted, with no regard to God or faith. And Joel's job as a prophet called by God is to get them to open their eyes to that reality about their lives. At the time when God calls Joel, there is a massive invasion of locusts that is plaguing the land of Judah. Joel refers to that, that invasion of locusts as God's army, he calls it. Listen to, how, listen to how Joel describes it. It's just one of the areas where he talks about it. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. 
and wail all you wine drinkers over the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, powerful and innumerable, innumerable. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and splintered my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches have turned white. And Joel goes on for a number of more verses, a number of more verses about the devastation of this swarm of locusts. Let, let me help you understand how destructive this kind of swarm could be. A desert locust swarm in the Middle East can be 460 square miles in size and contain between 40 and 80 million locusts in a half square mile. Wow. Each locust can eat its weight in plants each day. So a swarm of locusts could eat 423 million pounds of plants each day. With a swarm that could be of that kind of size, we can understand the other truth of Joel's words when he says, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining, the sky would be obliterated by this army of God. Joel sees all of this, all of this, this devastation that's happening at the hands of this, this invasion of locusts as a foreboding of God's day of judgment. And that's a day known among the Jews of the time as the great and terrible day of the Lord. Listen to what Joel says. The Lord utters his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host! Numberless are those who obey his command. Truly, the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure it? But as we've seen, time and time again in Scripture, God's judgment is always tempered and overcome by his mercy. Right after Joel says those words, truly, the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed, who can endure it? He then says this, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Tearing one's clothes, this rending of garments that, uh, that Joel mentions, was a sign 
of mourning and deep regret among the people of, of ancient Israel. It was meaningful because in the ancient Middle East, your clothing was among your most valued possessions. Most people only owned one cloak, which often that cloak took months to make. To tear it was a significant thing. Now it could be sewn and repaired, but the cloak would always show the signs of that action of mourning. Hmm? Scars, if, if you will, reflected in your very clothing. But God says here, he says, that is still, though, just an outward thing being torn. It's not you. And God says, I want you to tear open your hearts to make room for me again in your life. I want you to return to me, but not just with some superficial outward expression, but with a decision, a decision on your part that is profound and genuine. That's what God looks for. That's what God's asking for. And when that happens, when you rend your heart like that and welcome God in, listen to what God says. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God says that the day of his coming, the day of the Lord, does not need to be a day of judgment. It can be a day of grace. That it is not just a day of mourning and rending garments, but a day of open hearts and even blessing. God says here, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh what does it mean to pour yourself out for another? When you, when you say, man, I poured my all into this. What does that mean, right? Doesn't it mean that you gave your whole self? You put your whole self into it? That is what God is saying here. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
I will give myself completely to my people. That is the great and terrible reality that we celebrate each and every year at this time. Emmanuel, God made flesh. Hmm? The great and terrible day of the Lord when he came and poured out his whole self for us. That's what we celebrate at this time. Amen.